0: In uh, 2002, I was beginning uh, ministry as a youth pastor. And I took our youth group to the beach, uh, beach trip that summer. And one of the students that our group had invited was a girl named Michaela from a local high school. 17-year-old girl, troubled, uh, came from a troubled, broken home and uh, had a lot of trouble in her life. The very first night we were at camp and the the preacher, the, the camp pastor Preach the gospel. Michaela's heart was broken uh, by her own life. She saw herself in the story um, that she was broken and sinful and and that only Jesus could rescue her. That very first night, to our surprise, Michaela gave her life to Christ. And after that night, we, uh, as a group, small group of us, went to a little ice cream spot and sat down and had ice cream together. And we sat around a table And I just remember uh, the conversation, but I do remember one important moment. Michaela, a brand new Christian, forgiven of her sin and born again and brought into a new family. She looks at us and she says, what do I do now? What now? That is the question that the book of Acts answers for us. It shows us now that the gospel, the completed work of the cross and empty tomb has happened, Jesus has died once for all, has resurrected from the grave, and he has this group of followers, and the big question they're asking is, what do we do now? And that's where we pick up in the book of Acts. Would you find your place with me in Acts chapter one? And what I want to talk about for um, the next little while, is kingdom people. As we study through the book of Acts, our our theme is going to be we are kingdom people. And today I want to give you four marks, four marks of kingdom people. We're going to talk about the person. We're going to talk about the purpose. We're going to talk about the power and the plan. We're going to dig into all of that together. Before we do, though, just a little bit of introduction about this book, the book of Acts, is uh, is the second. It's like a sequel that Luke writes. You know, he's written his gospel account. It's the longest one in the New Testament. He's written his gospel account, and now he's going to write the sequel. I don't know if you've ever watched a, uh, a hit TV series or maybe a, a movie, and at the end of the movie, it just leaves you with a cliffhanger, and maybe there's this these words that come up on the screen to be continued or... Along those lines. Well, when you get to the end of Luke's gospel, it sort of ends abruptly and you're left wondering, okay, what what next? What happens next? And so Luke picks up right where he left off with Jesus, a resurrected Jesus ascending into heaven in Luke's gospel, and he retells that story in the book of Acts, and then he gives us what's next. It's the sequel. Well, Luke writes in a way that shows that he is a physician, He's a medical doctor who traveled with Paul on his missionary uh, journeys and uh, he writes incredible detail. He gives us all these facts, but he's not just factual and scientific. Luke is uh, enamored with the miracles of Christ. I love the fact that Luke does not allow his being a, a, a scientist, a physician, he doesn't allow it to keep him from believing the unbelievable. I mean, for example, Luke opens the gospel of Luke with the story of two miraculous births, John the Baptist born from the elderly and Jesus born from a virgin. Well, in Acts chapter one, he's going to open that story with an unbelievable thing. We have a resurrected man speaking to his followers who then floats up into the sky into a cloud like this is unbelievable stuff. And we've got it coming from a medical doctor who's traveled with Paul and shared this message. Let's look, if you will, with me. I want us just to read uh, the first uh, 11 verses. So would you, uh, as we did a moment ago, would you stand where you are, even in this room and at home? uh, Get off the couch for a minute. Let's honor God's word by standing and reading uh, the first 11 verses of the book of Acts. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know While they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. I pray you open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to not only receive it, but to believe it and to be the kingdom people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. Um, well, there's a lot more I need to say uh, about the book of Acts, um, but I, I feel like along the way, as we study through the book, I, we'll give more and more and more information about the book. One thing I do want to say, though, a couple of, couple of points just to make clear as we read through this book in particular, it's it's a unique book in that it fits uh, right smack in the middle between, it, it's the bridge between the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament. And it's a transitional time in history. Up to this point, um, God has been near and with his people. He was near in the Old Testament and he was with them in Christ. And now he's coming to be in his people. The Holy Spirit comes to be in his people. This is a a moment of transition. And so a lot of things happen in the book of Acts that are not necessarily how they're gonna continue to happen in our lives. So when we read the book of Acts, we should read it more descriptively than prescriptively. Not that there aren't some prescriptive things. What, What I mean by that, let me give you an example. In this first chapter alone, Jesus is going to say, not many days from now you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by a baptism of the Holy Spirit? There's a lot of things there, and we don't have time today to get into that doctrine. But then later on in the chapter, the disciples have to make a decision about replacing Judas as one of the twelve, and so they they cast lots. Well, these things might raise some questions in in our hearts. You know, Maybe you would say, well when they receive the Holy Spirit, they, they speak in tongues and, and they're preaching in languages they don't know. Sh- should I speak in tongues? I've never spoken in tongues. Do I have the Holy Spirit? Those are questions that may come, come up to you as we read through this book if you read through it with a prescriptive mindset. Or maybe you think, well, I've got a big decision to make. I guess I should roll the dice or flip a coin. I mean, they cast lots, so maybe that's how I should make decisions. When we read this book prescriptively, We might interpret it wrongly and then apply it wrongly. I think it's important for me to mention that at the outset because a lot of really bad uh, theology has come out of this book from the reading of it primarily prescriptively. What we need to know about the book of Acts is Luke is telling us a story of what happened. And it's not always what will happen or even what we should expect to happen. Now, sometimes it is, but it's not always just making that point of clarification as we move into this book um, and we we get deeper into it. Here's one thing I want us to know. As we read through uh, the book of Acts, we see tons of miracles and signs and wonders. And here's what's happening. God is putting his seal on his messengers. He's putting his seal on their gospel message, and he's putting his seal on his church method. His messengers, their message, and his method. He's beginning and birthing the early church. And the miracles and signs and wonders are his way of saying, this is a God thing. I don't know if you remember when um, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the middle of the night. In John 3, verse 2, he looks at Jesus and he says to him, "Um, no one can do the signs that you do, unless God is with him. That is so true. It was true of Jesus, and now it's going to be true of the early church. And here's what's happening in the book of Acts. God is miraculously legitimizing his messengers, their message, and his method, the church. So with that, let's, let's dig right in to four marks of kingdom people. Four marks of kingdom people. The first one is the person. Here's what we're talking about. Kingdom people have a king. There's no getting around that. If if we're people of a kingdom, we have a king and his name is Jesus. In this text, just, just the first 11 verses, Jesus is mentioned in every verse, Jesus is mentioned not only in every verse, but in the first five verses, he's referenced 10 times. So he is, let me just ask you this, who is the main character of this story? It's Jesus. I felt like um, Dora the Explorer just then. Who's the main character? A little pause, you answer. <laughs> Jesus, right? So who's the main character of this story? His name is Jesus. And now as we read through the, the, the storyline, well. We might be tempted to think that Peter's the main character. He's going to do some amazing things. Peter and John, they get arrested, they get out of jail, that miracles happen. Or maybe Paul's the main character. He's traveling all over the world doing crazy things. Or maybe Stephen is the main character as he preaches boldly in the face of persecution. Or maybe Philip is the main character. No, Jesus is the main character. He's the king. This story has been about him. It is always about him let me say some things straight from the text in the first three verses about our king and here here they are our king is a suffering king our king is the resurrected king our king is a teaching king our king is a commanding king and our king is the ascended king here's what those things mean suffering king Luke won't let us get to the splendor of the ascension without letting us know the road that Christ has traveled. He says in verse 3, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering. The path they've been on has been filled with pain and suffering. Make no mistakes. These disciples had been incredibly discouraged for many days. If you remember the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they... They were so distraught, they were walking away from all that they had hoped in until Christ came to them. Suffering. Jesus suffered and so will his people. He's a suffering king. He's the resurrected king. This book, Acts, and this book, the Bible, exists because the cross and tomb, the cross and the tomb were not the end of the story. This book exists because we have a resurrected king. And Luke writes, he says, he presented himself alive by many proofs for 40 days. Can you imagine what that must have been like to sit at the feet and listen to a resurrected man? Like, what kind of questions would you have for a man who was dead and now alive again? And we see that Jesus has defeated death he's the resurrected king he's a teaching king jesus taught them all about the kingdom of god if you read in luke 24 the very last chapter of luke's gospel you see that he takes the scriptures the the prophets and the law and he he shows them himself in all the stories so he he tells them the story of david and goliath and he says i am the better david he tells him the story of Jonah and he says, I am the better Jonah. He, tells, he goes through the book and he uses the scriptures to point to himself and show how he's the fulfillment of every one of them. Jesus is a teaching king and he speaks to them about his kingdom. In Acts 1-2, we see this word that after he had given commands. Our king is a commanding king. He's not weak. He doesn't just make suggestions or recommendations to us in our lives. He commands. He's a commanding king. This is his story, and we get the privilege of being a part of it. Jesus commands. He is Lord and Master. He's king, and he will not be received any other way. He's a commanding king, and he's the ascended king. Acts 1, 2, and again in verse 11, uh, Luke references this idea of him ascending into heaven. Well, what's that about? Well, it's about Jesus getting promoted. He's getting promoted, not just in a job from one position to the next. He's just showing them who he really is. I love that it he's taken up in a cloud. The imagery there is all through the scriptures. You got uh, the book of Exodus 13, where uh, God's presence is... In the pillar of cloud, right? And a pillar of fire, the presence of the Lord. Then you have in Daniel chapter 7, it says the king, the eternal king is coming in the clouds. And then uh, Matthew 17, that moment of great transfiguration. Peter, James, and John are there to see Jesus lifted up into a cloud and shining in his glory. This is our king. This is our king. It's, It's his story He is the main character of this story. Don't lose sight of that as we read and as we study. Kingdom people are marked by their king. Our lives are about our king. Our words are about our king. We speak about him, we think about him, we focus on him. Our lives are about our king. We could keep going along these lines, but we need to move. These disciples, they come to Jesus with a question. And in verse 6, they've been wondering and wanting to know the answer to this question the whole time they've traveled with him. Now that he's defeated death and he's shown that he's the boss, they come to him, they're like, will you at this time restore your kingdom to Israel? And Jesus, in verses 7 and 8, uh, I kind of love and I kind of hate what he says here because there's, there's some tension. But in verse 7, here's what he says. In essence, he says, it's not for you to know the details. Get this. It's not for you to know the details, but you will receive power and you will be my witnesses all over the world. That's what Jesus says to them. He says, don't, don't worry about the details. The Father has authority over the details. You just, you just do this. So Michaela says to us, what do I do now? What do I do now? And Jesus says to her and to you and to me, when you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, you are to be my witnesses. So today, the title of this message is Kingdom People Give Witness to the king kingdom people give witness to the king so jesus says to them i'm not going to always give you the answers to all your questions maybe right now you've got loads of questions you know when's the economy going to open up when can i go back to work when is things going to be back to normal when can i go to church again a lot of us want to know when can we come when can we come and gather with god's people together again I, i hope soon i hope very very soon Um, but lots of questions. And sometimes Jesus doesn't give us the answers. Sometimes he looks at us and he says, that's not for you to know, but here's what I do want you to do. You be my witness. So regardless of whether or not we have the answers, we definitely know what we're to do. Um, It makes me think for just a moment about um, how we love the details. We're hung up sometimes on the details. I was thinking about if... uh, If Lauren and I were planning a trip to Disney, for example, and uh, she might would ask me, hey, um, so where are we going to stay? Which park are we going to? Are we going to buy the meal plan? What ride do you want to do first? I kind of want to map out our our trip through the the park. Which shows will we see? What's our budget? If you know my wife, you know that um, uh, she likes to have a plan. She likes to... uh, uh, well, she likes to have what we'll call organized fun. <laughs> I'm more the spontaneous. She's more the organized fun of the two of us. And I'm so thankful she brings a little balance to my whirlwind crazy. But su- suppose that she says to me, what, what hotel are we going to stay in? And I say, "Yeah, we'll find one when we get there. Or she says, well, what what park are we going to? Ah, uh, I don't know. We'll, we'll just get tickets when we get down there. Well, what are we going to do? Well... Don't worry about the details. I'm telling you, uh, that trip would not be an enjoyable trip. (laughs) So here's the thing. We want the details, and sometimes Jesus just wants us to trust him. He doesn't give us the answers. He doesn't give us a full roadmap. He just tells us, here's what I want you to do. He doesn't give us the answers. He gives us his spirit, and he gives us what he wants us to do. Look very carefully at Acts 1.8. Let's read this verse one more time. And I want to encourage you as we study through this book that this is a spot you should memorize. This verse, memorize this verse. But here's what Acts 1.8 says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. Okay. So we're gonna see this verse unfold throughout the rest of the book. And what we see here is that Jesus gives a promise to his people. And that promise has three, three aspects. And here they are, the purpose, the power, and the plan. And I wanna, I wanna flesh them out this way. Our purpose, here it is, kingdom people are witnesses to Christ. Kingdom people are witnesses to Christ. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. These first apostles had a unique place as eyewitnesses. In 1 John, the apostle writes, um, quote, that which we have seen with our eyes, we've touched with our hands, we have seen and heard we proclaim to you. These first apostles, they were eyewitnesses. Now, we're not eyewitnesses, but we have the privilege now of carrying the same message forward. So every Christian is a witness. Every Christian is a witness. I think about um, the woman at the well, John chapter 4. She didn't really know anything. She'd only had that one meeting with Jesus. She hadn't come to church for years. She hadn't heard a bunch of sermons. She'd not been through EE training or any other kind of outreach training. She just met Jesus. She found out that he knew all her dirt and he loved her anyway. And that was enough. She drops her water pot, runs to the village, and she's a witness for Christ. She's a witness for him. So what does it mean to be a witness to Christ? Well, it means that we bear witness about the scandalous love of Jesus. It means that we bear witness about the forgiving grace of Jesus. It means that we bear witness about being welcomed into the family of Jesus. And most of all, it means we bear witness to the perfect life, sacrificial death, and triumphant resurrection of Jesus. You see, none of us deserve his love. None of us. We're all Outsiders who do not deserve His love, so it's scandalous. None of us deserve His forgiveness. My sin is terrible, but His grace is greater. None of us deserve to be welcomed in. We're outsiders and outcasts. We shouldn't be a part of this family, but because of Christ, He welcomes in sinners, calls us new, calls us His own. We're brought in. We bear witness to Christ Two quick things about witnesses. Don't be surprised by suffering. Don't be surprised by suffering. The very word witness is the word martus in the Greek. It's where we get our word martyr. So don't be surprised when you suffer. Jesus said in John 13 and again in John 15, he said, a servant is not above his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute you. Paul writes to Timothy and he says everyone who wishes to live a godly life will be persecuted. We should not have an entitled mentality about how we live in this world. This world doesn't shouldn't celebrate our christianness. The, the world is not going to applaud you for following Jesus. They're going to ridicule you. They're going to mock you. They're not going to like you and we need to get used to that. It's only going to get worse. Christians should not be surprised by suffering. And then uh, I want to encourage you to give witness to Christ in bold and boring ways. Here's what I mean by that. as we read through the scriptures, especially in the book of Acts, we're going to see a bold witness for Jesus. People preaching the gospel even while they're being stoned. People proclaiming the gospel from prison. People... um, speaking truth to their authorities right in the middle of a heated moment. They're preaching, we must obey God rather than men. We're going to see a bold witness and each of us should rise to that occasion as life gives us those moments. We should rise and be bold about our witness to Christ. But also in life's boring moments, husbands, serve your wives like Christ serves the church. Wives, submit to your husbands in honor of a greater authority. Children, obey your parents because Christ has put them over you. Give witness to Jesus in the most mundane and boring aspects of life. Give witness to Christ that He is enough in the bold and boring ways. We are called to be a witness But we're not alone in this. We're empowered by His Spirit. So this is the next thing. We talked about the purpose, now the power. The third mark of kingdom people is that we are empowered. Here it is. Kingdom people are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Kingdom people are empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot we can say about this, and we'll talk about it. It's it's genuinely, this is the story of the book of Acts. It's how the Holy Spirit empowers Ordinary people to do extraordinary things for the cause of Christ um, and for his witness around the world. So there is power with God. And in Luke 24, 49, Jesus says, I want you to wait in Jerusalem for you will be clothed with power from on high. And that's what happens in Acts 2 at Pentecost is the Holy Spirit comes down on his church and his people are empowered as bold witnesses. That happens in you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? How does he empower your witness? And I want to give you um, five quick things. These are quick. The Spirit gives words to say. The Spirit gives you the words to say. Don't stress about what you're going to say. Just trust the Holy Spirit. He gives the words to say. In Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches a powerful sermon. Do you think he spent weeks writing that message. No, to prove to you that the Spirit gave him the words, the Spirit also translated it into so many languages. The Spirit gives the words to say, trust Him. The Spirit gives boldness. In Acts chapter 4, everybody around was looking at Peter and John and they, they were marveling because they said, these are uneducated fishermen and yet they preach with boldness. Maybe you're a shy person afraid to talk to anybody. Just step out. Be bold for Christ. Trust him that the spirit of God will empower your boldness. Thirdly, the spirit gives resilient joy. I think about Paul and Barnabas in prison singing hymns and praising Jesus and and watching gates the bars are open and The prisoners come to faith in Christ because the Spirit empowered resilient joy. It was their joy that won over the prison guards and the other prisoners. They couldn't be stamped out even by a prison. The Spirit gives strength in suffering. I think about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, preaching a bold, powerful message and the, the, the crowd around him is picking up rocks, angry faces. And they're ready to throw them. And they tell him, you stop that. You stop saying that. And he says, I can't. I can't. The Spirit of God has given me strength in this moment to preach a powerful message, even though it's going to cost me my life. And, P, and, and Stephen preaches. And his, his sermon ends with the heavens opening and him seeing Jesus. Standing at the right hand of the Father. And lastly, the Spirit, and this is most important. This is a qualifier for the work of the Spirit. Here it is. The Spirit gives glory to Jesus. He always gives glory to Jesus. This is so key because there's a lot of people that are, that are like Simon the magician in the Bible that, that want the power of the Spirit. They want to they do great things With the Spirit. And if you don't know the story, it's in Acts 8, Simon comes to the disciples and he tries to buy the power of the Holy Spirit. Hey, how much is that going to cost, guys? I want to be able to do what you're doing. Oh, that didn't go well for him. Here's the thing the Spirit does not empower you for your own glory, He empowers you for the glory of King Jesus. The Spirit is all about the glory of the Son. And Jesus makes that so clear in John 16, verse 14. He says that when the Spirit comes, He'll guide you into all truth. And then He says this, He gives glory to me. That's the qualifier for the Holy Spirit. He empowers you. So speak boldly. Be resilient in your joy. Endure suffering and give glory to your King. The Holy Spirit is the power and we must be clothed with Him. His power to live out his purpose. Lastly, we have a plan, right? A purpose, power, and a plan. The plan that Jesus tells his disciples is simply this. Kingdom people are empowered. I'm sorry. Kingdom people witness to everyone, everywhere. Kingdom people witness to everyone, everywhere. I want you to hear how these first disciples might have heard um, Jesus say this. You know, they came to him and said, are you gonna now restore your kingdom to Israel? Well, they were thinking way too small. Jesus doesn't just want to be king over Israel. Remember when he stood before Pilate, he told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. (laughs) So literally, Jesus' kingdom is out of this world, right? Right? His kingdom is much bigger than Israel. It's meant to encompass all people of all places. And that's what Jesus tells his disciples that day. He says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, how would they have heard that? All right, quickly. When Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, here's what he means. In Jerusalem, where just a few weeks ago, They hated me so much, they hung me on a cross. They killed me here. And I want you to preach that I'm now alive and I'm the only way to God in this place where it's deathly dangerous. Then he says, you'll be my witnesses in Judea. So this is the place where the people hate you, ridicule you, mock you. Every time we go out into the villages of Judea, they they can't stand us. I want you to go where the people hate you, and I want you to suffer for my namesake. You'll be my witnesses also in Samaria. So not just where they hate you, but where you hate them. I want you to go to the place where you think less of those people. Racial profiling, ethnic profiling, social Issues, cultural issues. I want you to go to the place where you think these people don't belong, and I want you to welcome them into my family. And then lastly, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And Jesus is saying, I want you to go to the unknown, places where you don't know and you can't know. And it reminds me of what God spoke to Abraham all the way back in Genesis when he says, Get up out of your country and go to a place that I will show you. And now Jesus is telling his missionaries, his witnesses, I want you to be willing to go to the unknown. And as a church, we need to be a going and ascending people who are constantly going to places that we don't know, to people that we don't know, and looking to the Spirit of God to empower the witness to the King of this kingdom. For us, this mission continues. We are to take this gospel to dangerous places where people don't like us and where we don't like them. And we are to go and send our own into the unknown for the sake of our King. This is all about Jesus. He has called us into his story as kingdom people to be witnesses to the King. So if you're a Christian you are commanded to be a witness for Christ. And if, if you're a Christian, you are empowered by His Spirit to do it. I want you to take away those two takeaways. Here they are. You are commanded to witness for Christ and you are empowered by His Spirit to do it. If you're not a Christian today and you're just kind of checking things out, scrolling the internet, and you've stumbled onto this message, I want to tell you this. This gospel is for you. Turn away from the trinkets of this world that will never satisfy you. And look to Jesus. He's the only one who can save you from your sin and satisfy you for all eternity. Look to Jesus Christ. He is the King. and He's building His kingdom. I want to end with this thought from Peter. I told you, that um, these apostles, these disciples, locked onto this mission. And in Acts chapter 10, what we see is Peter has a dream. And we're going to study this in the months to come, but Peter has a dream. A a sheet is let down and there are animals in the... And he's like, "I, I can't eat of that. That's unclean. And God says, you don't say unclean to the things that I say are clean. And God is telling Peter, I want you to take this mission, this gospel to the Gentiles. And so in Acts chapter 10, he goes to Cornelius's house. And this is what he says in Acts 10, uh, right around verse 35 or so. I love what he says. He says, I understand that God shows no partiality. Jesus went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And now we the living and the dead. Look at how Peter got a hold of what happened in Acts 1. He got a hold of the fact that kingdom people have a king. Kingdom people have a purpose. We're to be witnesses for our king. That kingdom people are empowered for this mission. And that there's a plan to take the message of hope from here to there and to everyone everywhere. Will you join us in this mission? Will you join Jesus in his mission? Church, let's be a kingdom people. Let's be people of the King.